0: Hi to all you boys and girls out there in podcast land. Welcome to Radio Film School, a radio documentary anthology series about filmmaking, cinema, and the pursuit of passion. Every week we bring you personal, passionate, and sometimes provocative stories from filmmakers and artists all over the globe. Stories that will help you mature as an artist and find more fulfillment in your craft and career. This week we're bringing back the Star Wars special we ran last year, Less is More. It was actually a shortened episode and ran right before the release of Star Wars The Force Awakens. With the release of Rogue One last weekend, I wanted to revisit that galaxy far, far away. Keep your eyes and ears out for a special bonus episode of our Breaking the Glass Women in Film series this Thursday when we have a new episode also related to the Star Wars universe. Show regulars J.D. and Yolanda will join me to discuss the role of strong female leads in the Star Wars universe and how well Star Wars movies have or have not passed the Bechdel test. That episode will most likely be our last, first-run episode of the year. I have some exciting projects planned for 2017, so please be sure to subscribe in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to share it with a friend. Now, without further ado, here's our Star Wars special from last year, Less is More. May the Force be with you, always. Always. Stay tuned after the credits for a funny deleted scene.
1: You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM, the sound of creative expression.
2: I had said what I wanted to be when I grew up is a director, a movie director, because I had asked my parents, who's responsible for Star Wars? And they said, George Lucas. And I said, what does George Lucas do? And they said, he's the director. And I said, that's what I want to do <laughs> because <laughs> I want to be the guy that makes Star Wars, yeah, yeah. right? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound a little bit more like everyone else because uh, uh, one of the main main films, of course, was Star Wars uh, as a kid that I, I loved. And I was I was the annoying kid uh, um, repeating every single line, uh, uh, preempting every moment, uh, every che- scene change. And my cousins and my friends and my brothers and my parents would get so annoyed. When it came I, out, sure. and I probably thought, To 10 times when it came out it because back then like i say dinosaurs on the earth um we didn't have this like crazy dvd thing where you could just watch things as many times you wanted to you had to actually go to the movie theater to see films i remember going to see it and just being blown out of the water by the the visual effects and the uh, you know the whole
3: family went uh, but my grandfather was there he passed away actually um, a year later, so this is probably like one of the only real memories I have of of my 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 grandfather, you know, doing something with him. And uh, yeah, my mind was blown. It was, uh, it, you know, um, you know, with a lot of our memories, a lot of it is always attached um, with uh, emotion. That's really where everything began for me.
1: It's not an understatement to say that it revolutionized the movie industry, and and I don't think that people really saw film, uh, a a, a sci-fi film being made that way, and it just blew everybody away.
0: Perhaps more so than any other movie, Star Wars is the answer to the question, what movie made you want to become a filmmaker? At least from my point of view from both interviews I've seen or heard, as well as interviews I've conducted myself. What you heard was just a sampling of interviews for Radio Film School with artists sharing their Star Wars stories. Slash Film co host Jeff Kanata, Sky City Haya director Adad Warda, production designer Temis Daig, wedding filmmaker, concept video guru Lord Calame, and my good friend and frequent show guest JD Cochran. It seems like every filmmaker has their Star Wars story. For me, there are a few the excitement of being taken out of school to see Empire Strikes Back down at the UA Theater in Westwood, and the sheer unmitigated awe and spectacle of seeing the Adak Walkers in Hoth. I also remember the Sunday morning, the opening weekend of Return of the Jedi, when a friend of the family showed up at her doorstep to say that her son was down near the front of the line at the Egyptian Theater with tickets for my brother and I to see it with him. Picture, if you will, two nappy-headed little black boys running around the house in Hollywood Hills screaming at the top of our lungs like maniacs as if we just won the lottery. Yep, Star Wars has a special place in the hearts of those of us who had the good fortune to see the originals and all their splendor when they first were theatrically released. Then two things happened that forever changed the face of the Star Wars universe. The prequels were released, and the original stories were remastered. In just a couple of days, Star Wars Episode 7 will be released. There are two generations of movie lovers and filmmakers anxiously waiting to see if co-writer and director J.J. Abrams can do for this sci-fi space opera franchise what he did for that other star movie, Star Trek. In this shortened episode, I want to look at the lessons filmmakers can learn from the missteps of the aforementioned prequels and remasters. Now, I know these issues have been beat to death over the years, so this isn't just another fanboy bitch session. Instead, I want to focus on three very specific elements and see how we can apply those lessons to our own work. Specifically, the kidification or dumbing down of the series, character assassination, quote unquote. And perhaps the most important—that less is more. I'm Ron Dawson, and this is Radio Film School Shortened, a Star Wars episode special, Part One. All right, so uh, I'm here driving along the beautiful Washington roads with uh, Mr. Joshua Dawson. Say hello, Joshua. Hello. And uh, Joshua has been a bit of a connoisseur of Star Wars lately. I thought it would be interesting to, in, to uh, talk to Joshua about his feelings on the Star Wars franchise, which ones are his favorites and why, and get it from the point of view of a 10-year-old Lego master. The Star Wars universe is beloved by children and adults alike. But for many of us fans from that first generation of Star Wars enthusiasts, You know, those of us who have longed to share these movies with our own children now, we're stuck having to show them the prequels and the remastered originals as their first foray into the world of that galaxy far, far away. And to our dismay, our kids actually like it. So, um, Joshua, which Star Wars movies have you seen?
2: Episode 1, Episode 4, 5,
0: and 6. Got it. Now, out of those four that you've seen, what would you say is your favorite? Your absolute favorite—the one you would want to see over and over again.
2: It would probably be the Phantom Menace.
0: Okay, now tell me, why is that your favorite?
3: One, I have the first time when I watched it. I have never seen droids in real life and animated. And so I was excited to see it. And two, it has some a lot of action.
0: Yes, it does have quite a bit of action. Now, uh, do you have a favorite character from Phantom Menace? I'm afraid what this answer is going to be. All right.
3: It would probably be Anakin.
0: Ah, the little boy. Anakin. Anakin, young Anakin. Why is he your favorite?
3: He's so creative, and and when they tested his blood, it was like off the charts, Yoda they even didn't have that much.
0: Wow, his blood was off the charts for the, do you remember the name of the things that they were testing? No, not really. For those of you in the listening audience, those would be midichlorians. Yeah, in Phantom Menace it was established that it was midichlorians that created the force. Isn't that cool? I have to admit, dear listeners, I can't help but wonder if i felt as a father. How in God's good green earth can any child reared from my loins like Phantom Menace over Empire Strikes Back is beyond me? Where did my paternal stewardship go wrong? I I don't know. Those are questions I may have to struggle with for a long, long time. But maybe, just maybe, in the words of Han Solo himself...
2: It's not my fault! No lightspeed. It's not my fault. First, the episode one through three are far less successful.
0: That's the voice of Chris Huntley. He's actually my ex-boss. He and his business partner, Stephen Greenfield, created the Movie Magic line of software at a company called Screenplay Systems, now the Wright Brothers. Wright as in W-R-I-T-E. I worked there from the mid to late 90s before they sold the Movie Magic product line. Their focus is now on writing programs like Movie Magic Screenwriter and Dramatica. In the creation of Dramatica, which is a story development tool, Chris has done a lot of research on story and human psychology. In a subsequent installment of this special Star Wars series, we'll go into more detail about the story structure of the original movie and, and some of the things and insights that Chris has uh, gleaned from that. But uh, given Chris's background on this topic, I wanted to tap his brain.
2: Um, and I also think part of the problem with them, other than the fact that they're a little overproduced and and episode one is way too long, yeah. um, is that they're for a, a, a younger audience. When you get into the first three, even though it gets exceedingly dark, um, particularly in the you know second and third episode, right. uh, it still has that more like for seven and eight-year-old boy feel with some of the, the jokes and stuff in it that were just really young. Right. Um I thought that that was a I mean it was a, certainly a marketing choice, but I think that it makes it there a bit a bit of a disconnect between the first 3 and the second 3.
0: I think Chris's point is right on the mark as it relates to that part of the problem so many of us had with the prequels. It's no surprise to me that one of the reasons Star Wars purists are least enthusiastic about episode 6. Is the aspect that is most childlike, those cute and cuddly Ewoks. It's totally understandable and appreciated that Harrison Ford made the exclusion of the Ewoks one of his prerequisites for coming back to the franchise. So lesson number one, don't dumb down your film. Give your audience the benefit of the doubt. One of the clearest examples of how they tarnished the originals by dumbing them down was the infamous Vader no scene from the special edition and remastered episode 6, Return of the Jedi
3: the blu-ray version of return of the Jedi. They added what? Oh my gosh. This is, and this is my, this is my biggest, um, you know, pet peeve was uh, as as far as changes was.
0: That is Lloyd Calamay, an award-winning wedding filmmaker known for creating amazing concept videos. In short, a concept video is a narrative short film starring a bridal party or just the bride and the groom, but it's made to look and feel like a movie. Frequently, it'll be some spoof of a favorite movie or TV show of the Bride of Grooms. Lloyd has made a name for himself in the event video world as the king of the concept video. He also happens to be one of the foremost informed Star Wars aficionados I know. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your knowledge of the Star Wars universe? Uh, probably a 9.75. That's crazy. So Lloyd knows his stuff. Here we go back to his comment about his biggest pet peeve of the changes to the originals.
3: The scene where um, Luke is is, uh, being electrocuted by the Emperor and you see Vader, you know, standing there. Luke is screaming, Father, you know, please help me. They added the voice of James Earl Jones saying, you know, no. 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 It played better. (laughs) When there was no voice, when he's just staring there, and you know what's going through his head. You know, they added that,
2: they added that,
3: and it's the worst addition, in my opinion, uh, to 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 the to the you know, uh, these new releases. I it, it, I cringe every time. I, I want to like hit the mute button because, (laughs) um, it, yeah, in the original. Yeah, he's just looking back. You know, Vader is turning, looking at Luke. He's, you know, he's not saying anything. He's looking at Luke. He's looking over at the Emperor. He he, he goes back and forth, and you can you can feel, yeah, you can feel like you know he's 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 trying to make a decision, and um, you know, and and he, you didn't have to have uh, have to hear him say it. You know, we know what's going on in his head.
0: Perhaps the fact that I was so disappointed, or rather pissed off at the changes in episodes four and five. I never watched the remastered episode six or or maybe I did and just mentally blocked it out that I couldn't remember that scene. But again this was an example of that dumbing down. Lloyd and I had a great conversation about all things Star Wars. One in particular focused on the second lesson filmmakers and storytellers can learn from the prequels and special editions, quote unquote, character assassination. What I'm talking about is the importance of one, creating characters that we care about and two, staying true to those characters.
2: I was not a fan of those films, as you can see. I think that there's a lot of things that were really wrong with them.
0: That's the voice of Heidi Honeycutt, freelance writer of genre and sci-fi filmmaking for such magazines as Fangoria and Movie Maker. She also runs Etheria Film Night, a showcase for the best new horror, sci-fi, fantasy, action, and thriller films made by emerging women directors.
2: Uh, on screen, there's like so much weird shit happening CGI-wise. that It doesn't, like, the, the, it's bad writing. The, the female characters, again, there's a big, big issue for me. We have one female character, really, and she's boring as fuck. I love how, like, I guess it's the third film where she's, like, a, she, she's working as a senator, right? Oh, right,
0: right. right. And,
2: and, but, and but you instead talk? of, instead of senating, she's, like, at home worrying about where her boyfriend is, like, sitting there. <laughs> and then he comes home and she's like, where have you been? And I'm like, oh, my God, this woman has nothing better to do with her time. Like, literally. Yeah. Yeah, that that doesn't take you out of a movie at all,
0: does it? It goes without saying that characters are essential to the success of any story. Characters we care about, that we connect with, or ones that we love to hate. The best characters are nuanced. They're real and layered. One such character from the original trilogy was another than Han Solo. He was a good guy, but like Leia, so frequently reminded us he was also a scoundrel. It was this nuanced aspect of Han's personality, an aspect that actually made us love and connect with him more, that was whitewashed with the remastered versions.
3: Right, and that's when it, you know everybody started bashing him about these, you know, adding these new scenes, especially, and that's where you know Han shot first started.
0: Here's Lloyd again.
3: Right, you know, he he ends the conversation. Says he says, you know, I bet you have, and you know, there's a. Bright flash of light, a gunfire, and you see Greedo fall to the table. It's brilliant editing, and so to change that, it just it was like whoa, you know. I remember seeing that in the theater; I was like, "What just happened?" He, he totally, you know. Now, <laughs> how did
0: it exactly? How did it happen in the change? In the change, it it, it it
3: He says his line. It cuts to a wider shot of the two of them. Greedo, who's standing in front of him, who's point blank shoots and you know and it hits the wall next to Han Solo on the side of his head and a millisecond later Han fires second so right. he's his thinking was okay he's you know Han is not a cold-blooded killer he did it out of self-defense yeah. no i mean we fell in love with Han Solo because he was that guy who 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 broke the rules he was this he was a pirate he was a smuggler you know But he was still a lovable guy you know and and to change that with in that you know it's a slight change but it 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 made made all the difference
0: whether it was characters we cared about that were changed characters that were never developed in the first place or characters we wish were never created in the first place when we looked at the character assassinations that happened in the prequels and the remastered special editions we gleaned some valuable lessons
3: I've done a breakdown, and I see the whole film being shot in about eight weeks. That sounds right. Mm Mm-hmm. No, but I love the catamaran scene. I
1: think that should be shot right at sunset, so you get that golden, orangey... Miller-time look. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, except it's
3: gonna be in black and white. What's gonna be in black and white? The movie, it's in black and white.
0: The whole movie? Every scene? Yeah. Well, Nick, if you shoot it in black and white, they're just going to colorize it anyway, so what's the point?
1: (laughs) A lot of theaters don't even show black and white movies anymore. They don't have the right projectors. All the projectors are in color.
0: It's true. That's a clip from the 1989 hilarious satire about the movie business, The Big Picture, starring Kevin Bacon. Kevin plays this Wunderkin film school grad being courted by the studios to do his first feature after having won his prestigious film school's film festival. In this scene, the executives are encouraging Kevin to turn his simple, black-and-white, no-soundtrack personal film into a Hollywood caricature. Now, what does any of this have to do with Star Wars, you ask? Well, I'm glad you did. Because this scene is a perfect harbinger for lesson number three, Less is More.
1: It's like what you talk about on your podcast all the time. You know, when you have constraints and you don't have everything that you want, you got to be creative and clever and really concerned about how you're going to get this story across.
0: That's friend of the show, USC film grad, indie filmmaker and good friend, JD.
1: When you get to the prequels, he doesn't have that problem. I mean, he can <laughs> I mean, right. he can just throw money at whatever he wants, you know, and I, I think that that kind of that might have hurt him.
0: This idea of constraints boosting creativity is common in filmmaking particularly in sci-fi. So that's one example of less being more. But perhaps one of the best examples is what I call the failure at the cave. And I'm not talking about the cave on Dagobah, where Luke failed his Jedi test. I'm talking about the ice cave on Hoth. So in the original Empire, like when it was first released, we never see the Wampa you see him for like a split second before he attacks Luke.
1: Right, um, right. and it,
0: it almost has a Hitchcockian feel to it, where you hear these yells or these moans in the background. You see Luke; he's trapped in ice, and you know he has to get out. And you hear the Wampa getting closer, and it builds this sense of tension because you you're there with Luke, right? You right. don't know how close the Wampa is. You know he's getting closer. Is Luke and able to get out? Um, and the last but second, you know, you see the wampa, you see this lightsaber fly, you see the hand fall off, and it all happens so fast. It's like and you
1: really don't get a good look at the wampa. No, like not at cuts all. A
0: shot, you know, exactly. Not little shots
1: here and there of the of the creature. <laughs> cut to
0: in. cut to the remastered. <laughs> and was there like a family, weren't they? Like no, know, it's, it's just a the one, one. But it's like one. Luke is there. Then you cut to a scene of the Wampa chewing on the Tauntaun, and I'm like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't remember if there was one or two. But no, I it's just huddled around a, the Tauntaun eating it. I'm like, this is a great example of where less is more, because all the tension you have in that first original, where you don't right. see the, where you don't see the Wampa, you don't know how close it is, is totally eliminated. So not only do we cut back and forth to him a couple of times, so we we never have that sense of how much danger Luke is in, you know. And like right, you,
1: you can't get your bearing. You're like you're hanging upside down. You're seeing a a, a part of the creature moving, but you don't. Where's it at in the cave? Exactly. I don't know, like, exactly. You know, you have all this stuff going on that keeps you off kilter. Right. And then and then they show you exactly where he is, and he's kind of like <laughs> he's in his he's in his uh, dining chair or whatever, smoking <laughs> right, a cigarette, right. snacking on the tauntaun. It's and like, and
0: then even when he comes to attack Luke, they're showing that, and so. Like the tension is gone, the excitement is gone. Um, a great yeah. example of just showing too much, um, but I, I could go on and on. Lloyd added,
3: because they couldn't get the ice monster work when they were actually shooting, so they could only show um, his arms and you know him slowly walking towards Luke uh, instead of actually seeing you know uh, this new shot of, of the you know the
0: full monster.
3: You know, and that if that sounds familiar, it's because. They had the same problem in Jaws. In
0: Jaws. Yep. I was just going to say that.
3: And, um, and it worked incredibly well for that film because it made the movie that much scarier because uh, we couldn't see the shark. We didn't know, you know, and, and it, it just messed with our imaginations. So, um, um, and that's why you know jaws works so well and then you know this uh, so this minor change in you know in the empire strikes back is 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 actually major
0: <laughs> i had this feeling that as that when it came out on dvd they added even more stuff
3: oh yeah i'm telling you ron with every release there is a change
0: and it's right. it's, it's uh <laughs> it's
3: just, you know, it goes back to the cliche. If it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? You know?
0: Have you ever seen the movie The Big Picture with Kevin Bacon?
3: Yes, I have. I remember that.
0: So do you remember the scene where, you know, he finally, he's he's having the meetings with the studio execs, mm-hmm. and in his, you know, desire to please the studio heads, the movie keeps changing So it ends up being, you know, every time he meets with them, they keep adding stuff. So it goes Mm -hmm. from black and white to color. And then um, they change the characters. And then then it ends up becoming like beach
1: blanket bingo. (laughs) What if we were to leave it at the beach, right? Only now it's a bunch of
3: college guys who are living in the house. They've
2: rented it for the summer and, and they're having this party. And suddenly without anybody even realizing it, three... Stewardesses show up on their doorstep.
0: That's kind of like how I felt with <laughs> with the changes of the you know the original Star Wars over the years. Like uh-huh. we had this really great, almost I mean, obviously wouldn't call it an indie, but it had this quality to it that was pure, for lack of a better word. Let's be honest, there are some perverse pleasure film geeks, enthusiasts and purists get out of bashing all the changes made to the original trilogy and the train wreck that was the prequels. But I want to end on a sentiment shared by J.D.
1: At the end of the day, man, it's it's Uncle George, man, he created this universe for us and and even though we, uh, I don't think uh, anybody's beyond scrutiny just think of how amazing this universe is that he created for us. I, I mean, that's why I, I don't try to get too caught up in and ripping on George. I know he had missteps with, you know, the filmmaking or whatever in the prequels and I can understand people's points. But god, man, he he made such an incredible uh, property, a, a world, a universe for us to and, and people are so passionate about it now. Now we're all grown-ass men <laughs> waiting for the next, you know, Star Wars movie to come out. So it's a tip to the hat to old George.
0: Radio Film School was produced by me with help from producer Chris Husledge and production assistant Tommy Ferguson. Except, of course, for the Star Wars movie clips, music for today's episode was curated from SongFreedom.com and freemusicarchive.org. Go to songfilmcom radio and use the offer code radio to get a free standard goal level license worth $30. You can follow me on Twitter at daredreamer.fm and you can follow the show at Radio Film School. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash radio film school. With the pending holidays, as of now, the show schedule is kind of up in the air. We do have a bonus episode about animation coming up. And the next regular installment of the show would take a look at how artists deal with the gap between what they have in their head and what they can actually produce in real life. We also have more Star Wars interviews and updates on my film, Mixed in America. So we'll see what I'm able to get done before the holidays. On the off chance we don't return until after the new year, be sure you're subscribed in iTunes so you'll know exactly when the next episodes drop. Until then, have a very merry holiday season. And remember, if the story sucks... I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on.
1: Who wasn't raising their hand in these development meetings? Uh, George, yeah, the, the jive talking uh, <laughs> might not be the best idea.
0: You know? I remember seeing this behind-the-scenes
1: clip it, it, or me want to throw something out to you
0: <laughs> <laughs> i remember seeing this behind the scenes clip of the making I, actually it's on the making of dvd where they show george showing the guy
1: who plays yeah uh, uh, <laughs> that poor brother i mean you ain't heard from him ever since it's like man
0: but it totally reminded me of that scene from hollywood shuffle right, right, right. <laughs> where the white guys are teaching the black guys
1: <laughs> right. how to walk and talk jive Right, right. Now, you need to stick your butt out just a little bit more and bounce. Bounce when you walk. I swear. Like look up that scene from Hollywood Shuffle oh, it's
0: and then the greatest. and find that clip where George is showing the guy how to walk like Jar Jar. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and it's scary. I gotta I gotta put it in the show notes because it is You gotta it, find that, dude. You have to find that. Right. If you'd like to see that video, check out the show notes or the blog post for this episode. It's a riot. Take care.